Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is a weekly guest on here, and he has everything there is to know about uh, about the commodity market in his uh, little head there, and, and we go around some stuff, and to, again, there is no lack of, of uh, news to talk about, Sean. Plenty of stuff going on out there. Yeah, we've had a wild year for weather. We were just talking before the program began how we had 17,000 record highs in the U.S., just the U.S. Mm-hmm. in the past year, and 17,000 record lows yep. in the U.S. Just for getting the rainfall. So uh, that has kept the markets uh, alive and well in both directions, as you can imagine. So. Absolutely, yeah. It's been it's been crazy. And speaking of crazy, so you, you send out a, a report about once a week or so, and, and you've got some good information in there, and this one's no, uh, no different than usual. But you were talking about how uh, kind of some weather patterns and some some different um, sea temperatures and stuff like that were going to start playing into a, a possible drought drought in Brazil that was very close to what was seen in 1985. Yeah, I mean, we, we always are trying to look for historical patterns in weather and, uh, you know, what's, dri- what's driven them in the past. And one of the big uh, drivers for Brazilian drought in the, let's say in the central part of Brazil, which is where they grow most of the ag, um, is is a, a certain sea surface temperature regime where you have warmer than normal uh, sea surface temperatures to the southeast while you have uh, in the Atlantic and while you have colder than, nor- uh, than normal temperatures to the uh, northwest of Brazil. And when we've had that combination when we're moving and we're moving away from El Nino uh, into more of a neutral pattern uh, during this time frame, it has historically meant uh, risk. So 1985 is an analog that we found that had a 88% correlation in terms of the sea surface temperatures. 2013, 2014 uh, had an 86.5% correlation coefficient, which was another very, very dry year for Brazil. And so, so we look at this and we say to ourselves, you know, we, we have a, you know, similar conditions that have driven droughts in Brazil in the past. We already had a very dry year so far. And so you know, this keeps our, our guard up for, you know, something more sinister as we move into December onward, just when really the grain markets get excited about weather in South America. So this is something we feel probably is going to start driving our markets from, let's say, mid-December onward. Right on. Okay. And and that is starting to shape up that way. So if you look what's happened in Brazil right now, they were I read a couple articles the other day where they were talking about how they'd gotten some rain but it wasn't near enough and, and you know, they needed some more rains like that to get them back into uh into a very uh, uh you know where where production could could get um, the planting cycle going better. Um well, what's been happening, Casey, is that they that, that all consistently rain forecasts have come up short of expectations. That's a drought cycle, meaning every right. time they say, here come the rains, it's going to be a couple of inches. It's half inch, right. maybe. You know, and when they keep missing, we're not getting the rains they're anticipating. And that's the that's emblematic of a drought cycle. The rains that are predicted don't fall, and then you go back into drought. Um, and so, 
So we have another couple of weeks of rain that are supposed to come. And based upon what has been the history thus far, you know, we, we think it'll help a little, but we don't think it's going to be any kind of a major change to. And interesting enough, yesterday, Brazilian government came out and downgraded production potential for Brazil corn uh, significantly due to lower planted acres expected due to drought and due to lower uh, yields uh, due to drought. And uh, it, it was a pretty significant uh, decline of a couple hundred million bushels from what their original forecast had been. So we're already seeing some estimates starting to go down already. We haven't even gotten to the end of the cycle yet. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's stacking up to look like a, like kind of a, a messy situation. Like you said, even though they're getting rain, they're not getting what they're supposed to. So that's, that is a drought situation. No doubt about that. All right. So let's jump over and talk about the sugar market. So I, we were talking about that a little bit before we got started and uh, you're talking about frost in Louisiana. And I read a couple articles. I can't remember where I read them at. It might've been ag web, but I'm not for sure, but they were short. The number of, uh, of acres that they could produce in in Louisiana, and I want to—I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was something like three hundred, between three hundred and four hundred bucks an acre that they had to come up with, and, and and nobody has any beats to to fill those contracts with. So, talk about the sugar market we see over there, and it, it is it has been rough growing out here with the sugar with sugar beets out here. Um, you know, we've had those those uh, early frosts, and I'm not frost freezes. We've had early freezes, and and uh, a lot of beets in the ground right now that are frozen, and and getting that stuff out there. So between what's going on in Louisiana, what's going on out here, even further north um, into uh, Montana and over into North and South Dakota, you know, I'm hearing anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of the beets are still out in the field, which they should be almost done by now. So um, a lot of stuff going on out there. So talk about the sugar market. Well, I think uh, I think people uh, don't don't really know. I mean, here in Florida, we have actual sugar cane farms that right. produce sugar. But I don't think people really understand that the majority of the sugar in the United States comes from sugar beets. Right. In fact, a good portion of the sugar in Europe comes from sugar beets. A good portion of sugar that comes from Russia is from sugar beets. I'm not sure everyone really understands how important sugar beets are to sugar supply, and and so now we're finding a situation where uh, what's normally you know. Uh, you know, sugar beets are pretty hardy crop, pretty hard to hurt them. We never really worry about it too much. The U.S. is kind of, we always produce what we need. We don't really need to worry about anybody else. And now we have this situation where, you know, our production is going to be not off by a little, but off, you know, substantially 20, 30 percent in some areas. And, and it's now uh, expected that we're going to have to actually go and try to buy sugar in the international market. You know, we don't do this very often. Maybe a, you know, count a couple of times over the last 30 or 40 years, we've had to buy sugar from the international market to meet contracts, but that's the way it appears with what's going on with this very early start to the winter, which we had talked about would likely take place. You know, we're going to have to go buy sugar and to the extent that, um, uh, that we were already dealing with a second year of a deficit in global sugar market. This just makes the deficit that much more acute and makes those who were counting on international supplies a little more nervous that they maybe they better go get those supplies because a buyer that wasn't supposed to be there is not going to be there in a large way. And so, you know, the sugar market, we've talked about sugar in the past, Casey, and mm-hmm. smart money algorithm, capital flows, it's given off a pretty big buy signal, and, and the sugar market's starting to move. You know, we were trading the low 12 cents, and now we're kind of pushing close to 13, and it looks to us like this market could be ready to really kind of make a, a larger order move here to the upside, and, and, and there's always a trigger, but maybe this really nasty freezing frost weather in the U.S. was the catalyst to get the sugar market going, at least that's the way it appears. So. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've got this thing with China that sounds like sounds like um, 
is almost done. You know, we've got to just go sign this contract, and for whatever reason, there's no place on the planet they can meet to go sign this this piece of paper. But it just can't can't seem to make it work, right? <laughs> it baffles me, but. Anyway, <clears throat> I'd, I'd, be at, I'd be at the airport. Let's go meet at the airport yeah, somewhere just, and sign a deal. Exactly. We'll just land some airport, random place. You you fly halfway, I'll fly halfway. We'll call it good. And then we'll sign this piece of paper. But anyway, <laughs> so they've got this thing going, throwing around this $50 billion number is what they're talking about in that phase one um, contract. Um, it's a big deal. That's what almost two and a half times what the what we've done with China in the past. Um, our biggest deal with China in the past. So it, it's going to be a huge deal for agriculture. I mean, phase one obviously is a primarily an agricultural related um, kind of phase in. And the Chinese have uh, their eye on the U.S. hog population. And they are doing their best not to buy it from us, but they're still showing up and buying some stuff every once in a while. So talk about the hog market and, and what does kind of what's what do you think's in store for for the hog market going up into the end of the year assuming that we can get something they can just find a place to meet and sign a piece of paper <laughs> well assuming that they can find a a correct location and you know that's a long shot but hopefully yeah. they can um assuming they can uh the biggest thing for us casey and and i really really want to uh bring home the gravity well, one thing that's kept the hogs market kind of depressed or not really moving as higher as many would have thought, given the gravity of the African swine fever problem, is that we've just been producing a tremendous amount of pork here in the U.S. in the, in the third and especially the fourth quarter. But when we go into the first quarter, those pork, pork productions expected to fall off 300 million uh, pounds. And then in the second quarter, it's supposed to fall another 300 million pounds. Right. So... So, so we're going to have a significant fall off in U.S. pork production in the first half of the year from what we've been seeing in the back half of the year. And, and so the way we look at it is even if the Chinese just keep buying the way that they have been, and they've been buying. I mean, they have been buying. Maybe not as much as they should be buying or that we want them to buy. But if they just keep buying at the rate that they are with the kind of lower production we're seeing in the first half of next year, the hog market's going to go crazy to the upside. If they start buying what they need to buy, uh, then prices could really go crazy. And so if, you know, if we're thinking like the Chinese, and not that we can think like the Chinese, but if we're trying to think like the Chinese, if I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, we see this shortage of, of supply coming in the U.S. in the first half of this year. We know they still have a lot for the next couple of months. What would you do? I'd buy every pound I get my hands on, cheaply, by the way, right mm-hmm. now, I mean, pork well, cheap, right? Um, yeah. And and then and then so that when we get to the first half, we, we we'll have to pay up, but at least we got what we could when the getting was good. I almost have to feel like that's what's going to happen, and they're going to run this market into the end of the year, despite it all, because they know that the the the, the picking is going to be much more difficult uh, for them in the first half of next year uh, to fill supplies. And so we're pretty optimistic that um, you know prices are going to start working higher and then move into some kind of a parabolic rise, especially. As you're going to the first quarter onward, so it's so it seems to us, and, and obviously signing a phase one deal would, would absolutely totally open the door for that to happen without any resistance whatsoever. So, so do you see maybe after the first year something similar to what we've seen in Brazil as far as that as that chart kind of took off and ran? I mean, it was just it went from you know whatever else kind of driven along to just a rocket ship up as far as the volume that got out. Um, you know, I, I saw the other day where China. Had, purchase some hogs out of Canada and they were trying to 
trying to you know, just just trying to skirt us as much as they can, but it's it's not working for them very well. Talked about this the other day. But if you look at the the, the Brazilian uh, cattle price, the Brazilian pork price, you know nothing, 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 nothing. Record exports, record exports, then straight up parabola. Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the Chinese, the Chinese who who hate, who have not been liking the Canadians, who said we don't want to buy any of your stuff, magically said, "Oh yeah, we'll buy your pork and beef now. We're, right. we're, we're, we love we love you guys again." Right. Magically, because they now realize they've bought everything they can from Brazil, and we're next, Casey. We're next. Right. Canada is the only place left is us. So, so they're 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 moving the ball forward. But I agree. If you look at the chart of Brazil prices for pork and cattle, our chart's going to look the same. It's going to be, you know, huh, and then just straight up, it's going to catch everyone by surprise, and 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 it's going to be a wild parabola. And I think as we get closer to that first quarter, the risks of that happening are going to be greater and greater. So okay, so that that's my next my next question I had for you was on on the beef. Uh, marketplace. When you look at what's going on there, with the rebound that they've had since uh, the Tyson fire in Kansas, and and what we've seen there, and and then and their rebound plus some, and they're starting to see some. Those packer margins are are still they're still pretty high, and guys are still complaining about that, and and rightfully so. Um, they're starting to make some money on the producer end of it. If China does show up and they do take start taking some some beef, there's got to be a pretty strong upside to what we see happening with with the beef complex here in the next three months. Beef is even a worse supply situation. I mean, we were not. I'm not sure people really realize, but the fourth quarter beef production will be, is will be down from last year's fourth quarter beef production. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. And this is a time we're supposed to be producing a lot of beef, and then it falls off over 380 million pounds in the first quarter. So, so the beef situation is is even worse in terms of the supplies. You know, we just don't have the, the the ability to turn on the, the faucet for supply as quickly as we can in chicken and pork. And at the same time, we just hadn't been producing as much uh, beef as chicken and pork. And so the the, 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 the beef supply situation is, is more bullish, in our opinion. We think that the, the move there, you know, we've been used to the Chinese buying pork over the years, but we had a 10-year moratorium where they didn't buy U.S. beef until – they lifted that about a year and a half, two years ago, just before African swine fever, by right. the way. Um, and so them being in the market, being a buyer of our beef is not something we're used to. And it's, and it, and it's going to take a while for the U.S. beef industry from a supply standpoint to handle it. And obviously having an early, nasty, cold start to the winter, you know, it doesn't help the beef market. And, and, it's, and it's, we think it's going to continue to be very challenging uh, winter, at least through, uh, through January before – you know, things might ebb, and so that just adds a little more, you know, a little more, you know, uh, uh, you know, bullishness to the pie that, that that's already there is to have another tough winter like we've been having. So. Yep. All right. So, milk production. We've talked about that on here a little bit, and and what we've seen happen in over in, in New Zealand as far as weather goes there, and there's still a a pretty strong um, signal out there um, that that milk prices are going to stay kind of where they're at and, and there's some there's some bouncing around and, and a lot of that the cheese market's been driving that but I, I guess as you take a look at <clears throat> what's happening in um, New Zealand and if that doesn't that situation kind of stays the same that we've seen this like we saw this spring here in in the US and that's a key milk producing country and, and they don't produce the gallons that, that they need to produce to, to kind of keep the world supply going that milk price has got to stay pretty consistently where it's at for, for a foreseeable amount of time. 
Well, Casey, there's there's two key milk prices. The class three price, which is right. cheese and dry whey. It's a class four price, which is milk powder and uh, and butter. So so what's happened is the class three price is the one that's really had a, a wild ride because of the cheddar price going crazy and um, U.S. production being poor and all the things that we've talked about in this program in the past. And so the class three price has gotten, uh, it's been the leader. But the way the yin and the yang of the milk market works um, if one's the leader and gets too high, then the other one plays catch up. And so where, we're, where we are at now is we think that the class three market's probably $20 is probably going to be a tough price to get through. But the class four market, we think, could really take off because we think the milk powder market is really what New Zealand sells to the Chinese and the rest of the world. They're really the dominant milk powder exporter during this time of the year. And if they can't sell those milk powder exports, then the milk powder price takes off and the class four price takes off. Even if the butter price is flat, if you if you run the milk powder price higher, the class four price takes off. So we think it's going to be a, more of a, of a class four story uh, over, the, you know, over the next three or four months than a class three story as, as class four kind of catches up. Of course, farmers get, get, they get paid on sort of a combination of both prices. So what's good for one, you know, it'll help everybody to have a class four price take off now. But we do think if we're looking at where we focused on right now, think milk powder, think class four price starting to move. And that's actually what's been starting to really take off here in the last couple of weeks with the milk powder market. Right so. Okay. All right. So let's jump over and talk about corn and beans. Um, you know, you look at the, the corn market and it's, I think it. Ha I think there's some new law in place that it has to go up in the morning so it can fall off in the afternoon, but it just seems like that's what it's been doing. But there's talk about what's going on in the corn market. There's just this huge fluctuation that we see. I mean, interday highs, interday lows. I mean, it's just back and forth all over the place. Talk about what's going on in the corn market right now. Well, I I think everyone's scared to death that we don't have the crop that we think we have, or that the USDA thinks we have. Right. But at the same time, everyone's scared to death because they look at the exports, which have been so bad, right. and they look at the ethanol, you know, situation, which has been so bad, um, and they go, "How how bullish can we be uh, with that demand profile?" Um, you know, and so so the market, you know, when it gets excited about supply, it get it moves up, and it gets uh, depressed about lack of demand, it falls down, and so we've been stuck in this, you know, back and forth. As you said, we rally and we fall, we fall and we rally, and we just can't seem to get any headway beyond 393.95 on uh, that upper level range, and then we fall back down. And so, um, either <coughs> USDA has to have to come to Jesus moment uh, and 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 change their view of, of production being down far more than they've been willing to, or we need to see exports picking up, and or both. And we actually think both are likely to happen between now and January. Yeah, I, I, I talked about this last night um, on the Wednesday show, and. I think the USDA is, is going to have to eat a big pile of crow, man. They've just, they've done, you, you see every report comes out that they kind of ratchet back to something a little bit here, a little bit there, and whether it's supply or whether it's the overall harvested acres or, or bushels per acre or whatever it is, they, they kind of just take it back a little bit at a time. And um, I, I just don't see the crop out there. And I've talked to people all over the country just like you do. And I, from who I talk to and what I've seen and, and what I've read and everything else, it just doesn't seem like the corn bushels are going to be there that the USDA said by a long way. So I just feel like they're going to be way off. Well, let's just put it in perspective. We've, the, the, for argument's sake, half the corn crop's been harvested. 
Okay. You know, mm-hmm. And, and um, those are going to be your best supplies. I mean, those are the supplies that were more south and, yep. you know, better. And of course, as you go north and Dakotas and Minnesota and everything, then it's going to be worse. So, so despite half the crop or more than half the crop of being harvested, you know, our, our cash basis levels are, are extremely, extremely unusually high and surging for this time of the year. Um, and so to me, that says that if they're doing that with the best already behind us in terms of, of production numbers coming in, what's going to be, what's going to look like when we go through the, the back half, which is going to be a really nasty stuff and, and some stuff that probably won't even get harvested at all because it's not even worth getting. getting. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, so we look at the cash basis and we put a chart in our report that went over a long-term history of the corn cash basis, uh, you know, going back 30 years. And we're, we've moved into very unusual rare territory that whenever this has happened before, it has been an incredibly, uh, incredibly strong long-term buy signal that the corn price is ready for not just a, you know, one month move, Casey. We're talking about like a multi-year move to the upside. It's a rare, we haven't had one in a long time, almost 10 years, but we just triggered it here in the last month on a cash basis standpoint. So to us, you know, that's a wake-up call about get ready. Things are about to change. So. I hope you're right because I need I need a change to sell some combines. So that's going to be <coughs> be it'll be a nice deal. So let's jump over to talk about soybeans. Exact same marketplace. I mean, almost exact same kind of scenario. Where again, talk to a ton of people around, and what they are harvesting now, like you said, further south, obviously it's the good stuff, and and they've had better harvesting conditions, and and now as we move north, when they got ready to get harvesting and start rolling, most guys were fighting. You know, anywhere from a six-inch snow to a feet of snow, and trying to get soybeans out of that. So, again, that market is all over the place. One day it'll be up fourteen cents, the next day it'll be limit down, and then, you know, everything in between. So, the soybean market is another one that's uh, probably. I, I'm just being optimistic here. It looks like it's kind of poised for a takeoff. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, soybeans are more impacted by you know the, the daily trade war tweets that right. come out. Yep. Left, so there's variability to go on more of the soybean crop is harvested of course so we we have less unknown there uh than we than we, than we do in the corn market at least um uh but you know cash basis in soybeans is not as exciting yet although we are seeing cash bases in the last three weeks really shoot like really take off um with you know you know almost three quarters of the crop harvested so um, it looks like the cash basis may move into the territory here shortly, but the corn cash basis is already in. But the, 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 there's this big move in the cash basis in soybeans in the last two or three weeks. To us, it's really telling because, you know, if, if, if the crop was as voluminous as, as the USDA is saying that it is, we, we shouldn't be seeing a spike in cash basis this time of the year. Um, it also means that we're probably still getting some good demand from China as well. So... So cash basis to me, I mean, futures markets lie all the time. The USDA lies all the time. The cash market tells the truth all the time. So that's why we like to focus on that cash market because it's a real buyer and real seller making a real economic decision. And they that market knows exactly what's going on. And when that market starts to do something unusual, like we're seeing now, we pay attention. And it tells us to get our bullish caps on, to get ready that this correction we're in Whenever it ends, and it probably ends sometime later this month, if we had a guess, it's going to be it, it's going to be you know a pretty important low that's going to be set off by a, a 
pretty good rally from here. So we're we're getting ready to we're getting ready for an important turning point here. We think. It's funny how that cash is king thing because it's the same way on the on the equipment side. The auction market is the uh, canary in the coal mine for what's going to come down to Pike, man. So that's a uh, very very. Uh, Lots, lots of uh, similarity there. So, yeah, good stuff going on. All right, Sean, plenty of stuff happening, man. F- folks want to reach out to you and see what you guys can do and and uh, also take a look at what you guys have to offer. What's the best way for them to do that? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of stuff on our homepage to look at to see if what we do might be of you know of, of service to your listeners. Right so. Well, Sean, appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, bud. Miss Casey, have a wonderful week. Thanks. You too, man. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.